0: I'd like you to stand for our uh, scripture reading, and this morning we're going to do a uh, responsive reading, and uh, you can see it there on your screen. I will read the first verse, you read the next verse, and we'll alternate through this. Responsive reading of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. my cup runs over surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and i will dwell in the house of the lord forever amen let's pray together father it's got to be a joy to you to hear your people recite your word it's a joy to our hearts it's refreshment to our soul down to our very bones you are our shepherd, and now we are to hear from you. You say in your word that your sheep hear your voice and they follow Jesus. I pray if any have not yet heard your voice, have not yet begun following you, that they will do so today. And for those of us who know you as shepherd and savior and sovereign king, I pray, Lord, that we will humbly submit to our hearts, our minds to what we are about to hear. We pray your spirit would anoint our pastor. We pray that your word would burn in our hearts and our wills would be activated
1: to be obedient to you. In Jesus
0: name we pray. Amen.
1: Well today we are concluding our summer series here in the 23rd Psalm and uh, I don't know about you but this this series has been a uh, a blessing and encouragement uh, for me personally in just studying it, going through it each week. And I, I hope and trust it has been the same for you. Uh, this familiar psalm, and yet we've taken some time, uh, six weeks in particular, to kind of break it down and go verse by verse and look uh, what the psalmist uh, is teaching us, what it is saying to us. And so today, We're going to conclude this whole series here on the 23rd Psalm. And and if you've been with us through the series, you know we've been looking at uh, seven causes of just an overwhelming life and really God's solution to each of those causes through this particular Psalm, through the words of David here. And, And I hope you've learned through this series that no matter how overwhelming life is for you right now, the essence... The summary, if you will, of God's solution is what David wrote here in the very first verse. When he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Each week we have seen that God's solution to an overwhelming life, whatever it may be causing in your life, whatever that cause is, is really the solution to it is a relationship with the Lord as your shepherd. It's a relationship of following our shepherd, as he leads us through life. Now, this concluding message here is no different. This morning we're going to look at God's solution to fearing the future. And I I think there's probably, there's little doubt that in the last 20 years uh, since, or in the last 20 years since 9-11, it is the single greatest event that has altered how we face the future. Uh, if If you go outward and you just look globally at our world, we live with this constant threat now that a terrorist attack could happen and does happen at any moment. I mean, even in the last few weeks here, the last six months, the last year especially, has taught us that, that globally around our world, we are at risk for that. Nationally, we know that our cities are targets of terrorism. We know that people, and now even police officers, are targets of acts of violence. You look at the political scene, we are a divided nation. Here we are in the midst of a polarizing presidential election. You bring it down economically, and although we are still the most profitable country in the world, we yet live in the shadows of financial uncertainty. Religiously, we feel the ever-growing hostility toward being Christ followers, toward Christianity in general. And individually, more people today view their future with indifference or even without hope. So how? How does all this affect our view of the future then? When it comes to facing the future, here's the question I want to throw out to us. For you to ponder honestly in your own heart, are you fearful or are you confident? As you wake up each morning, and you get up and you go through your day, are you fearful or are you confident? And you've got to love how David concludes Psalm 23 here. Notice again what he writes in verse 6. He says, Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. No fear of the future here by David. This verse oozes with confidence as David looks to his future. David says, Surely, Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It's it's not hope so. It's not I think so. It is surely, and he is confident about it. And then David ends. He says, I will. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Not I might. David writes with confidence and not fear as he faces his future. Is that true of you here this morning? So where do you get that kind of confidence that David writes about? Well, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a a Christ follower, as one who has committed your life to following after Jesus Christ, David gives us three reasons why. Why we here as Christ followers, why we don't need to fear the future. And so let me share those three reasons with you this morning here. Number one, the first reason is is we can face the future confidently because God is watching over me. He is watching over me. Throughout our study of Psalm 23, we have seen how the welfare of the sheep is dependent upon the shepherd. Just think through this with me here. It is the shepherd who provides for the needs of the sheep so that they do not lack for anything. It is the shepherd who leads the sheep to green pastures and still waters when they are hungry and thirsty. It is the shepherd who restores the sheep when they are cast down and vulnerable to attacks. It is the shepherd who guides the sheep on the right paths that lead to safety. It is the shepherd who protects the sheep with his rod and comforts them with his staff in the dark valleys. the shepherd, as we saw last Sunday, who prepares the tablelands in the presence of the sheep's enemies, ensues their wounds, and fills their cups of water to overflowing. It is easy, then, to see all the benefits of such a loving shepherd, and all of this is summarized by David with one simple statement, surely goodness shall follow me all the days of my life. No matter what it comes in life, we can always be sure that goodness will be in the picture. When goodness is following you, what more is there to care about? What is there to be anxious about? This is a very bold statement by David of his confidence in the Lord who controls his life and destiny. And yet, how many of us here, how many... Christ followers actually feel this way about the Lord as their Shepherd how many of us are truly confident that no matter what occurs in our lives we are being followed by God's goodness of course it's easy to speak this way when life is going great right when your air conditioner doesn't break down like Jim and Tammy Collinsworth and and then ours last night I wake up at 1:48 in the morning and I'm like, it is hot in here. I'm sweating. I'm like, what is going on? I'm, I'm, I get up and I go to the thermostat and I'm like, no wonder it's hot. It's like 85 degrees in my house. Why is that? And I go outside in my underwear. No. Uh, <laughs> go outside to look at the AC unit. Sure enough, the fan blade is not moving. And I'm like, oh, this is just what I need. You know it. And so it's easy to speak like David when life is going good and you don't have those kind of problems. I mean, if my health is excellent, if my income is flourishing, if my family is well, if my friends are fond of me, it's not hard to say, yeah, surely goodness shall follow me all the days of my life. But what about when life stinks? What about when everything is going wrong? These are the sort of times that test our confidence in the Lord as our shepherd. When my world is falling apart, when my dreams are crumbling into ruins, can I honestly declare like David here, surely goodness shall follow me all the days of my life, or is it what David writes, is it just sheer humbug in your mind? So what is goodness? When David speaks of this word, what is he talking about? Well, notice this in your notes. If you want to take notes, you're welcome to. You can pull out that insert from your bulletin. But goodness refers to that which promotes or protects, produces, and even enhances life, such as the Lord shepherd's provision of rest and refreshment. That's the Lord's goodness. Or restoration and guidance. That's the Lord's goodness. Or courage and comfort, protection and search security. All these things that we have seen throughout the 23rd Psalm all point to the goodness of God following after David. Because God is good I can expect that no matter what happens to me God will bring good out of it somehow. And even though you may not realize it, you may not, it may not even seem like it God's goodness is found in abundance and it invades every area of our lives. Listen, it will always be for my own good and for the good of other people or for the good of His kingdom when God follows us with His goodness. I want you to see this here in Psalm 145.20. I think this is in your notes. Look at it with me or just listen to what it says here. It says, "...the Lord watches over all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy." Listen, you can live with confidence if you recognize the goodness of God is following you all the days of your life. Of course, there will be harsh experiences that you will not be able to explain. Times of difficulty, times of suffering. But you can get through them when you realize that God's goodness is following you. He is watching over you. So what does David mean when he says, surely goodness will follow me? Because obviously David had disappointments in life. Not everything good happened to David. David's not saying only good things are going to happen to me. After all, reality tells us that is not the case. We know bad things happen to good people. Some of you have been there and done that. What David is saying is that God's goodness will follow God's people. God's goodness will come out of whatever happens to us, even the bad and the evil and the difficult. And one of the classic examples of this, or illustrations of this particular truth here in Psalm 23, is the story of Joseph. Here in the Old Testament, some of you are familiar with the story of Joseph. It's found in the book of Genesis, and uh, and it's the example of the goodness of God following us all the days of our life. It may not have seemed that way in the beginning when Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. And his refusal then to sleep with Potter's first wife landed Joseph where? In prison. And at the surface, that doesn't seem very good, does it? Where's God's goodness following Joseph at that moment in time where it lands you in prison for doing the right thing? But through it all, God was watching over Joseph. God's goodness followed him as he became second in command to Pharaoh there in Egypt. And at the end of his life, Joseph declared to his brothers in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, he says to them, hey, you guys, you intended to harm me when you back years ago sold me into slavery but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Look at God's promise here in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and it says, We know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Now, this is not a promise for everybody. This is not a promise for the whole world. Why? Because all things do not work together for good for everybody in the world. Some things work together for bad, for people who deliberately turn to their own ways and do their own thing and follow after their own ways of life. But if you're a believer who loves God evidenced by following Him then the Bible says all things are working together for good. Not that all things are necessarily good but all things are working together for good. There's no difficulty to them. There's no dilemma. There's no defeat or disaster in the life of a Christ follower that ultimately God won't bring good out of it. That's what it means when David writes. Surely Goodness will follow me all the days of my life. Now, often it's difficult. It's difficult to see God's goodness when you are going through times of adversity or even a tragedy. I mean, let's be honest, that is true. There are times when you just don't feel like God is good to you at that moment, that good is following you into that moment and that His goodness is actually hidden from your life. It's only later, when looking back, that we begin to see God's goodness was following us through it all. It's kind of like making a cake. And I don't speak necessarily from experience on that, but from what my wife tells me, you put all these different ingredients into a cake. Not all the ingredients taste good in and of themselves. It's only when you begin mixing it all together that the bitter and the sweet become a delicious cake in the end. And in the same way, our Lord Shepherd, He takes the bitter and the sweet of our lives, He mixes it together so that ultimately His goodness prevails for His sheep. Listen, we can face the future confidently. No matter what the Lord takes us through. Because God is watching over us with his goodness. But that's not all. Number two, there's another reason why we can face the future confidently. And that is because grace is working in me. Grace is working in me. Not only will God's goodness pursue you, but David also writes, Surely mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now what is mercy? Well, this word in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for mercy, it's, it's really an all-encompassing word. It, it includes a lot of different aspects. And, and for sake of time, let me just bring it down to a couple of different words that define or describe what mercy means in particular in the Old Testament. The Hebrew translation of this word mercy comes down to either being, it's the idea of God's loving kindness or God's steadfast love. Both ideas are the same thing. And then when you get to the New Testament, it's it's the idea of God's grace here in the New Testament. So you have this mercy and grace of God. It's all encompassing. You may have heard grace defined as God's riches at Christ's expense. And because of Christ and through Christ, we experience God's loving kindness and his steadfast love. Like goodness, grace is getting what you need, not necessarily what you deserve. Aren't you glad God doesn't give you what you deserve all the time? You say, why do we need God's grace? Why why do I need God's mercy, his loving kindness, his steadfast love in my life? Well, because we're imperfect, right? And that's, that's a polite way of saying it. I mean, we stumble and fall and we blow it and we sin. We are sinners. And so we not only need God's goodness, but we need His amazing grace. We need His loving kindness. We need His mercy. And we need His forgiveness for our sins. And through the death of Jesus Christ, He's the one who paid the penalty that we should have paid for our sins. God now acts in mercy and grace. Because of Jesus' death, God provides us mercy and forgiveness for our sins, both now and in the future. Now, don't miss the best part of what David says about all this. David says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. David says, all the days of my life, not some of the days of my life. God doesn't turn His goodness and grace on and off in our lives. It's not a flip of the switch. The reality is you're going to have all kinds of different days in your life. Good days and bad days. Easy days and difficult days. Days filled with joy and days filled with sorrow. And that's why we fear the future. We don't know what our day is going to be like all the time. And when we look to the future towards death, we especially sometimes fear it because we don't know what's going to happen when we die. We don't know what's going to happen from one day to the next. But here's the one thing you can count on every day. You will never face a day without God's goodness and grace if you're following the Lord as your shepherd. Some days you may not feel it. Some days you may not even see it. Some days you may not see God's goodness and grace. It may be hard to determine if God is watching over you and if His grace is working in you. And yet you can still know without a doubt that God's goodness and His grace will follow you all the days of your life. You ask me, well, how can you be so sure, Bruce? Because God doesn't lie. It's that simple. God never breaks a promise that he makes to us. And if God says goodness and grace will follow you all the days of your life, then you can count on that. We get so worked up about the future because of all the uncertainties that we can't control. But this is certain. It says, surely... So relax and trust God. In fact, God's goodness and grace following you is such a sure thing that you realize this, you can't even run from it. This word follow that David uses, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, that word follow, it literally means, it's the idea of pursue. That is, goodness and grace will chase you down wherever you go. I love what Haddon Robinson suggests in his book, Trusting the Shepherd. He says, goodness and mercy are like God's two sheepdogs. Ever near his flock, ever nipping at our heels and always available. And so when you have God's two sheepdogs of goodness and grace pursuing you in your life, you can face the future with confidence. Man, I love that. His goodness and grace is pursuing me. Wherever God leads me, it is following me. It is pursuing me. It hovers over me. It protects me. What a blessing that is. David gives us one more reason why we can face the future with confidence. Number three here is because heaven is waiting for me. Heaven is waiting for me. Look at David's emphatic conclusion here to the 23rd Psalm. He says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, did you notice what the first word of the sentence is? It's that little word, and. And that's one of the most important connections we see in the scriptures here. It connects today with tomorrow. God says, I've got this great life planned for you. Surely, goodness and grace will follow you, but that's not the end of it. I've got something else at the end of this life here on earth and it's called heaven. Turn with me if you have your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's over in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want you to see what the Bible talks about here about heaven. There's many places we could go to in the Word of God for uh, descriptions and definitions and, uh, of what heaven is but Paul gives us one of the uh, clearest ideas of heaven here and notice what it says here in verse 1 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 1 Paul, the apostle Paul is writing and he says for we know again confidence, this is Paul we know, for we know that is the confidence of Paul He says, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Do you realize someday your body is going to die, but you aren't? Your body is going to end. Some of you are already beginning to feel the effects of that, right? Yeah, we all do. But that's not going to be the end of, quote, you... Because you are going to live forever in one of two places according to the scriptures. You're either going to live forever in a place called heaven, which is real and it's literal, or a place called hell, which is real and literal. And most people, as we said earlier, live in fear of their death because they have no confidence... Of where they're going to live when they die. You ever wondered why Christ's followers are some of the most confident people in the world when it comes to the future and in particular even facing death? Because the Bible tells us here, you continue on in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 and 8. Look what it says. The Bible tells us why we can have such confidence. He says, so we are always confident. Why? Knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You see, for believers in Jesus Christ, death is simply a transfer or a promotion from this place to a much better place. Think about it. Everyone's going to die, right? We all know that. Only a fool would go through this life totally unprepared for something that everybody knows is inevitable. That's why you're not really ready to live until you are ready to die and enter eternity in heaven. So with heaven in mind here, let me just answer three questions about heaven for us. First question is this, what is heaven going to be like? What's heaven going to be like? Well, whatever heaven may be like, it is primarily a place where we will be with Jesus. Yes, It is true, the Bible gives us descriptions of heaven and it will be the most beautiful, wonderful place we will ever see. In fact, we can only imagine what heaven will be like. But understand, you will have missed the whole meaning of this 23rd Psalm unless you realize that David is writing about his personal, intimate relationship with his Lord now when we think about life after death as Christ followers what's the first thing we think about well for most of us we think about heaven and that's not wrong in fact that's a that's a good thing but David get this notice this notice his focus his perspective here in the 23rd psalm David rejoiced more about whom he would be with in the future and that is his Lord's shepherd, then he thought about where he would be with, and that is heaven. You see, this whole psalm is focused on David's relationship with the Lord as his shepherd. He begin, It begins it focused on the Lord, and now he ends it focused on the Lord in eternity. Think of it this way. Where you live. We refer to it as a house, but we also refer to home. As a home. And why do we call our houses homes? Why do we refer to a a structure as a home? Well, it's a home because the people you love are there. Otherwise, it would just be a house where you live, which is what some houses are, a lot of houses are for a lot of people. It's just where they happen to sleep at night. Just before Jesus left this earth, he told his disciples here in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, listen to what he writes. Jesus says to his disciples, and he's still speaking to us here as his disciples, as his followers, he says, hey, let not your heart be troubled. Don't live in this life. As you watch the news of another terrorist attack, as you watch these the Republican convention, and now here we are beginning with the Democratic convention, and you're wondering which is going to be, end up being president, what's going to happen, what does this mean for us as Christ followers? As you ponder on all these things, Jesus tells us, because he's, he, he's saying, let not your heart be troubled about all these things that are in the future, and ultimately about your death. And then he later on, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. There's the personal aspect of it. That where I am, there you may be also. In other words, these words brought comfort to those disciples in that day, just as it should to us now, because they had Jesus promised that they would be with him for all eternity in heaven. Here's the second question. Who is heaven prepared for them? Who? Well, heaven is prepared for those who embrace or trust Jesus or accept him, uh, receive him, whatever word you want to use. Heaven is prepared for those who embrace Jesus by faith for the forgiveness of their sins and the gift of eternal life. Understand something here this morning. Not everyone. Will be in heaven after they die. That's a sobering thought. Heaven is prepared for those who are in God's eternal family because they have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and the gift of eternal life. Jesus is their Savior. In Lord, He is the way, the truth, and the life, as Jesus says. In fact, notice what it says here in John 14, verses 5-6. through six. One of the disciples, he's often referred to as Doubting Thomas, he says to Jesus, he's unsure, he's got questions, and he comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, hey listen, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, everybody, all of mankind, all of humanity, everybody is created by God, but not everybody is a child of God. And you only become a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You have a relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. As Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you must be born again by believing in Him and receiving Him as your Savior. John chapter 1, verse 12 tells us, But as many as received him, he, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So understand, heaven is prepared for those who have believed in Jesus and received Jesus, because they have repented of their sins and they have placed their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and for the gift of eternal life. And the question we ought to ponder in our hearts even now is, is heaven going to be my home when I die? Do I know that for sure? Which brings us to our third question. How do I know for sure I'm going to heaven? Well, if you are here listening and following Jesus, then you can say with confidence, like David, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Look what Jesus says in John 10, verses 27-28. Jesus, writing again to His disciples, says, My sheep, listen to My voice. I know them, and they, they what? They follow Me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of My hand. Listen, you can live with confidence that heaven is your home when, when you die, if you are listening to Jesus, if you are following Him with all your life. And so I ask you, are you doing that now? Are you listening to the Lord Shepherd in His Word as He has revealed it to us? Are you following Him in every area of your life? And we're not talking about perfection here. Nobody measures to the level of following Jesus and listening to Him perfectly. Listen, we all stumble and fall. We all falter in this. And that's why we go back to our Savior, and we ask for forgiveness, and we confess our sins. And John, God tells us in 1 John 1.9 that when we do that, He is faithful and just to what? Forgive us again and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness and restore us back to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we're not talking about being perfect in this, but does listening and following Jesus characterize your life? In other words, it's kind of what, how we've defined it for Glenwood here, of what a Christ follower is. Does that characterize you? Are you making progress? Are you taking next steps in knowing Christ, growing in Christ, showing Christ, and going with Christ? Because that's what a Christ follower does. And if that's you, Let me tell you, you can say with absolute confidence, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Not I might, or I wonder, but I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And this future is secure. It is secure. I love how Jesus said it, and they cannot snatch them out of my hand. I'm sure some of you dads here, when you've, your children were small, you'd put a rock or a quarter in your palm, close your fist, and say, You can have it if you can get it out. And they'll try all oh, there and they can't pry it open. And that's the idea. Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one can snatch them out of my hand don't you just love that God's goodness and grace keeps me safe in his hands I do the trusting and God does the keeping he says he won't let go of me now let me ask you when you face the future what do you see and you basically have two choices in your life you can face the future with fear and doubt expecting the worst. Or you can face the future with confidence expecting the Lord's shepherd to be with you and his goodness and grace to follow you all the days of your life. And so as we conclude this series, what's the bottom line of Psalm 23? Well, I think we can sum it up with one sentence. And that is this. The Lord as your shepherd is all you need. David begins... And he ends this psalm with his Lord as his shepherd. He begins in verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, I don't need anything else. And he ends here in verse 6, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so the bottom line question for every one of us here this morning is, Do you know the Lord as your shepherd? Because the very first step, the very first place to begin in evaluation of your relationship with the Lord is, do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know Him in a personal way? Have you humbled yourself to bow the knee and confess your sin and put your faith and trust in Him? You can know that the Lord is a shepherd, but that will not do you much good. You can even understand that the Lord is the shepherd. The only person in the universe who can fully meet your deepest needs. But it's only when you place your faith in Jesus personally that you can begin to say with confidence and with conviction, the Lord is my shepherd and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, as we conclude I think it's awesome that we here as a church family, we get to end this series with communion, with coming to the Lord's table, and to remember the sacrifice of our Lord Savior, our shepherd. Do you realize that under the Old Covenant in the Old Testament, that the sheep died for the shepherd? as a sacrifice and atonement for Israel's sins. And in those that day and age, an unblemished lamb would be chosen, and it would be killed, and it would be sacrificed as a sweet-smelling aroma to God. And this had to be done over and over and over again throughout Israel's history. They constantly had to be sacrificing sheep, They will offer it to the priest, and the priest would do this sacrifice over and over again. But now we come to the new covenant here in the New Testament, and the Lord's shepherd dies for the sheep. It's reversed. Jesus Himself came as a sinless, spotless lamb to be slain, as a once and for all sacrifice for our sins. And here's the glorious news. One day we will meet our shepherd face to face in heaven. And I can't wait for that day Listen to the words of Revelation 7, 17. It says, For the Lamb, that is the Lord Shepherd, who is in the midst of the throne, will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. Will you bow your heads with me this morning? And perhaps you're hearing, man, if you're honest in your heart of hearts, you know that you don't know the Lord is your shepherd. Perhaps you have yet to place your faith in Jesus Christ. And accept Him as your Savior and Shepherd. Listen, you can do that right here, right now. This morning. You can pray to Jesus and ask Him to forgive you of your sins and invite Him to be your Savior and commit the rest of your life to following Him as your Shepherd. And if that's your desire, I want to encourage you here in a moment, Bill's going to sing, to just cry out to the Lord right where you're seated and pray, and express to God the desire of your heart. He will hear you, and He will answer your prayer of salvation. And so Bill's going to sing, and after he's sing, what's going to happen is the music will continue to play, and believers in Jesus Christ then are invited to participate in communion by uh, standing and walking to one of the four tables here in the auditorium, and you can... Uh, Get the bread and the juice and then take it back to your seat. And the bread and the juice represents the body and blood of Jesus when he died on the cross. And it reminds us who our Lord is, reminds us what he has done for us and what he's doing for us and will yet do for us when he returns. And that's why we pray. That's why as Christ followers we we cling to the prayer and we cry out, come Lord Jesus, come. And if you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, then I invite you to watch as the church participates in communion. And what you're going to see is a picture of God's love when His Son died on the cross for you. And I pray that God will draw you to faith in Christ as a result of what you see here this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank You for loving us unconditionally. Thank You for showing that love at the cross of Jesus Christ. And thank you that through the sacrifice of your Son, we can be saved from our sins. Father, your goodness and mercy have already followed us to this place. And we are humbled and grateful that you have expressed your love in this way. So help us now to live with confidence, knowing that you are watching over us, that your grace is working in us, and heaven is waiting for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bill's going to sing a chorus, and as he does, you respond right where you're seated. And then when he's done, the music will continue to play, and that's your opportunity to participate in communion.